If you're into designer furniture and you want the sofa that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends and all the quality, but without the designer prices. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that... That's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. Coast to coast, border to border, and around the world, it's time for The Bill Alexander Show. The Bill Alexander Show is a guest-driven program where the topics are diverse and entertaining. Laugh and learn while you listen to one of the best hours of online radio. Now, here's your host, Bill Alexander. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of The Bill Alexander Show with yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill. Great to have you on this wonderful day whenever you're watching or listening. And we have a new um outlet i should say well actually not new but we've been brought back again to fayette tv channel 77 the breeze line cable communication system so we are broadcasting on local cable not to mention everywhere else throughout the world on iheart and on audacity and on TuneIn. we're everywhere well something's really special happening today because this person that i'm talking to right now i actually interviewed the first time on october 13th 2020 and we talked about her movie career and everything else. And she said when she released her next book, she would be on the program. Well, guess what? Diane Franklin is on the program. Diane, how are you doing today? I am wonderful. And thank you for having me back, Bill. I am so grateful for you to join me. And we did. We, you said that you would come back as soon as the new book was released and it's being released officially this coming Friday, February 18th. Yes, I'm so happy because um, this book is dear to my heart. And, okay. and it is the third of my books, but um, I mean, I can't even begin to tell you how happy I am that it's done and it's done at a time where I'm I just had a birthday and so I promised myself that I was going to get this book out um, around my birthday and so here we are so it was great well your birthday was February 11th happy belated birthday thank you and so if much you, and if you don't mind me saying can I mention your age absolutely please <laughs> I'm proud of it I live <laughs> she just turned 60 which she does not look like it Six oh, seriously. Uh, you know, it, I I feel so fortunate to be able to say that. You know, you never know your story, you never know your life, and uh, that's why this book coming out on my sixtieth birthday around it is very special, very important. And um, I just I, I don't know. There's we there's so much to say, but I feel very grateful, and uh, I'm really glad that we're talking. So, what makes this book different? from the first two which the first one you released was in let me make sure i got the right year here was in 2012 and that was mm -hmm. diane franklin the excellent adventure of the last american french exchange babe of the 80s and the second <laughs> yes. one was from 2017 diane franklin mm -hmm. the excellent curls of the last american french exchange babe of the 80s and then finally, the book being released this Friday is Diane Franklin, the excellent comedy of the last American French exchange babe of the 80s. You like really long titles. <laughs> <laughs> well, the whole point of it, you know, the titles have to bring a smile to your face. I wanted to right. make sure that, well, first of all, I was so funny. I remember when I, when I created the title and I thought, I just can't wait to hear someone say that name like announcing the book or so, so like I somebody like saying on a talk show like something and um and it's hilarious that you cannot say it without smiling or laughing so that's why I created the long name <laughs> and I also you know I, I gotta see the truth of it the starting of it was that I didn't assume that people would know who I was 
because I never had a name that at the time uh, my, during my career that was recognizable. I always did my work and kept my name like what I mean, if they might have announced my name, but I never did publicity. So I never assumed even to this day, you know, my name is um, although it's simple, it, it wasn't something that I assumed was going to be remembered. So um, I was always kind of like, OK, well, if you don't remember me, then you might remember in the title something might give you a hint. <laughs> So with, with that being said, and I think that's very interesting that um, you said your name wasn't recognizable, or at least they didn't know you by your name, but I would see them knowing you more by your face and your hair than by who you were. Did you notice that when people would see you up on the street and stuff like that in the 80s, they would say, hey, I know who you are? Well, it, I think in the 80s, it was interesting. It wasn't. I mean, again, there was no internet. There's, there, I mean, today, you know, we see people's faces much more often. Um, I did get recognized. Okay, so it's kind of funny. In the 80s, I would get recognized every once in a while. And also I get more recognized on the East Coast than on the West Coast. For some reason, people maybe on the West Coast are more like they, if they recognize you, maybe they don't say anything to you. But on the East Coast, people would start to recognize me. Um, but I will never forget, actually, when I did, I did a commercial, um, for Reese's peanut butter. No, okay. I was going to bring that up. I am so <laughs> glad you mentioned that. Okay, so here's the funny part, right? <laughs> and you can bring up the details of it. Those of you who don't know, Reese's peanut butter cups, you got your chocolate in my peanut butter, you got your peanut butter in my chocolate. That commercial I did when I was 16 years old, and I was on the street. And when I was 16 and somebody recognized me in New York, hey, were you on that commercial? And seriously, that blew my mind because to be recognized in a commercial, that's very unusual, very unusual. <laughs> so, um, so that was my first, I guess, moment of being recognized. Uh, but you can, did you hear about um, the, the commercial being on um, Colbert, Stephen Colbert? Yes, yes. Uh, and I think it's so funny because when you do the commercial and you look at it by today's standards, it is really corny. Oh, <laughs> yes. I mean, so who corny. is this girl walking down the street with an open jar of peanut butter, dipping two fingers in and eating peanut butter while walking down the street? This obviously happens all the time in the 80s, right? I mean, oh, I, I mean, I remember it. I mean, I, I saw kids doing it walking down the hallway in class. Uh, but it, it was so funny that you were on the John Kerwin program and you oh, did it with him. And again, it, it was so awkward. Oh, my gosh. OK, so first of all, uh, John, by the way, I'm going to plug his book. Do I have his book here? Oh, oh, wait. No, I don't. It's here. Well, John Kerwin, lovely man. He is uh, does a um, he has a book, by the way. So definitely check out the uh, John Kerwin book. But he uh, he asked me to be on his show and I was so excited. Uh, I that was my first talk show ever. And this was, you know, and I don't know. It was like 2019 or 18 or something. Anyway, I get on the show and. In, during the show, I had no idea. He said, I'd like to reenact that commercial. So he was the first person to bring it up since I did it. And so I'm like, oh yeah, we've got to re recreate this. It is the silliest of all commercials. Like, let's do this. So um, we recreated it. And then just this year, Colbert you know, brought it. Yes. To me, I'm thinking somebody knew this commercial and was able to bring it up in the writer's room. And that to me blew my mind. Like, that was awesome. Like you can imagine somebody saying, Hey, let's do that thing where we bring that commercial in that we saw on the internet. Let's bring it in. And I was like, just the thought of them talking about that in the commercial and him like doing my moves and stuff. Ah, I was so complimented and I loved it. Okay. So you have a daughter that is in her early twenties. Uh, mid-20s now, yeah, 25. Mid -20s. 25. Okay, and she, we can start, she's doing her own acting career. Yes, she is. It's, she's exploded. It's amazing. So when she saw mom become relevant again, what did she say? Oh, she died from laughter. Actually, she was like, she was like, oh my gosh, mom, that is so funny. Both my kids, I have a son as well. He's 20, um, 23 now, and they, they just were like, they're, my life is so, um, it's always kind of 
magical. These funny things happen with me. And my kids are always like, oh my gosh, it's mom again. Like something crazy is something you just don't think is possible happens. We have like magical experiences in my family and not just me, my kids as well, my husband, but crazy. But it was, yeah, they, they, they definitely got a kick out of it. Because I, I find that interesting. Now, your, yeah. your daughter is Olivia, correct? Mm-hmm. Olivia De Laurentiis is her last name. Okay. Yeah. So she's she's actually on her own series right now? Yes. She's on a show called Pivoting uh, on Fox. And it's every Thursday uh, night. I think it's 930 uh, Pacific time. Okay. Um, I don't know the other times. But um, it, it, I think she's actually on this coming Thursday, which would be the 17th. Yeah, I think she's on this week's episode, um, but she plays Donna, the secretary. Um, if she's not this week, she'll be on next week, but she is, um, and she talks, she has a Long Island accent on the on the show. She talks like this. And um, I am so honored that my daughter is getting to do all these dialects. She just uh-huh. got another film, a lead in a movie, and she's doing a kind of a dialect in that. And uh, oh my goodness. And she just did another movie that uh, called American, um, uh, Ted Bundy, American Boogeyman. Yes part of that so um uh and she's on tiktok if you're on tiktok she does a sid and olivia on tiktok and uh and uh the ellen degeneres uh digital show mm-hmm. uh, she does um on sage there's a show uh there's an uh on the internet there's a network called sage and she actually has a talk show with uh, her comedy really? Uh, Sydney Heller um, on the the Ellen DeGeneres network, and I right. mean literally, if you look up that network, you will see that she is hosting a show for her. So she's well, working so hard, and she's doing amazing. It's well, I reached out to her to have her on my program, but she hasn't returned my email. So anyhow, uh, oh, so if right, mom yeah. can put a good work it, word word in for me, I'd appreciate it. I will. Um, she's been a little busy, but I I will definitely. <laughs> Anyway, so you must be really proud. Did, did you know your daughter was always going to go into acting or performing? You know, um, it, it was, it's funny. I knew that she would achieve anything she wanted to. Right. And I think that when she was younger, um, you know, some kids like you go, oh, you got, you're going to be a singer. You're going to be an entertainer. Mm-hmm. And it didn't come that way with her. She was, she, her her imagination and her, her comic, her, her gifts could have taken her in many directions. And I think the thing that's most surprising to me is that I, I've said to her when she was younger, like the things she wants, like she wants to have her own show. And I said, you know, you're, you're picking the hardest. She wants to do her own comedy show. I'm like, you're picking the hardest thing to do that has probably not been done by a lot of women. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, so the road is going to be harder. And it might take longer to get where you want to go, but you know, you can get there. It's just, you know, I don't know if you can handle it because a lot of, I mean, that's the difference, you know, wanting to go after something is one thing, but being emotionally ready um, and being able to hang in there and not lose hope and work hard and the combination of things, you know, you just, you just don't know. Every person's different. So with her, I have to say, I have to say the, the I know she I knew early that she was going to be successful in whatever she wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest surprise, honestly, was that she wound up being an actress. Honestly, I guess I have to say, I never expected her to be an actress. I kind of expected her being maybe a more of a comedian or a writer. But the fact that she's doing acting roles now is a surprise. And it's a beautiful surprise because I'm seeing her the things that maybe I've done that she kind of picked up along the way. Okay. I never sat down with her and I've, I've taught her things along the way and she's seen how I've, I've done things myself. Um, I think, but a lot of it is very instinctive and she's, um, I don't know, you know, I think it is part of it is instinctive and you, you know, you you grow up with it, you learn. Um, but I, again, I was always surprised. I never knew she, her dramatic work is very surprising to me and her, Dialects are very surprising to me. Um, and she's wonderful. She's excellent. I, I, I'm very entertained. I'm very proud of her. You know, I think it's just, it's been like a surprise. Like some people mm-hmm. see their kids and they go, oh, you've been working really hard towards this and that. What I'm, I'm, I'm have to say with Olivia, I really, I see her 
having her on show. I really do. Okay. I, she, I, I have to tell you, somebody, I've never seen anybody who could make things happen like she is and she's emotionally ready so watch out watch yeah. the show Seriously, it's gonna happen i so i don't know i keep i keep notice you rocking back and forth and i noticed the top of the t-shirt which is better off dead Bonjour. Voilà. And, 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 and when i and when i say that my first thought is would you think it would be okay if they remade the movie in 2022 and had mm -hmm. your daughter play your part I would pay for that. <laughs> I would give my two dollars for that. Yes. <laughs> oh my god, that would be incredible. That would be a super dream. That would be well. That I would probably not be able to speak. I'd probably fall over. Um, well, I'm surprised no one has thought of it yet. Yeah, um, because we're in dialects too. That's true. So if anybody thinks of it, I get credit. So just to let All you right. know, I will write that down on this moment. We so need a job yeah, you know, <laughs> so we're talking about the new book and oh, what makes the new book different than the other two books okay so first of all i have to say that in in writing books at all um the most the reason why i i wrote any of these books is the first thing, the most important thing was as an actor, I really felt it was important to inspire the next generation. And also I, a lot of actors, they talk about their life and there's a lot of tragedy. And for me, I wanted to share the side of it that was, how does, if you want, if you dream of being an actor, how does, how does it happen? How do you mm -hmm. become an actor? So my first book, which is called The Excellent Adventures of the Last American French Exchange Babe of the 80s. This <laughs> book, uh, the longest title of the world, uh, which should make you smile because it's a long, long title. Um, this book was inspired because I wanted you to get a, a primary source information. In college, they talk about primary source. It means it's the closest thing to the reality of a person's life there is. Uh, it's not like somebody telling somebody, it's not hearsay, it's not a rumor, it's not from a newspaper article, it is from me. And I really right. wanted people to hear my words, my story, how I tell it, and how I became an actress from someone who was not in the entertainment business, lower middle class, European family, not, you know, had no connections in the entertainment business, but worked really hard and learned from the process and wanted to do it really badly. How does that even happen? So my first book is really a great inspiration for upcoming actors, um, people who love the 80s, um, who wanna know about things that were going on in the 80s, who love the films I'm in. Um, and um, this is a really inspirational book. Um, and I also, because not everything I did was PG. <laughs> <laughs> as an actress but it's important to know that you know right. if you're an actor you got to know that not everything that is in offered to you is perhaps pg um uh, so i rated the chapters so people okay. oh. like younger chap you, you're an adult you get it you tell them stay away from the r-rated chapters okay uh, okay so, okay so my question is and, and i know we brought it up on the last program that mm -hmm. you were on is we talked about the not PG stuff. Hmm. How did they can, I mean, did, did you want to do that or did they have to convince you to do that? Um, I think it was, it's a gradual process of learning about the entertainment business. I mean, really like, okay. you, know, where, you know, you start off, I mean, at least for me, I started with modeling and commercials and a soap opera and theater. And I, and I started as a child. So I have to say everything before 18 in the entertainment business is, is PG, you know, it, it is. They're, they're not allowed to have somebody who's under 18 do anything that is risque. Okay. All right. Um, but I will, that, that, that said, I will say that I remember Brooke Shields having to do Pretty Baby. And of course, you know, all the scenes that she was in, they're not going to, she probably couldn't even see her own movie. I'm, I'm sure. Right. Um, and, and what they'll do is they'll either, if they had something, they would do body doubles. And if they, if it's a whole thing, I mean, that was just a very unusual time. Early eighties was a very gritty, realistic, um, 
kind of thing. And people were, you know, even, I mean, Taxi Driver, we're talking about young girls who are in these films, were very, very well protected and taken care of while the filming was going on. I can guarantee you that. Um, it was something that, you know, filmmakers did not take lightly. It was not taken in the professional world. Right. You know, if it wasn't professional, I, I don't know. I can't speak for that. But in the professional films that were being made, it was definitely, a, you know, very much care was taken about under 18. But because I had been in the business since I was 10 years old, when I got to 18, I was already grown up enough emotionally to understand that certain roles were going to be starting to be offered to me. And, okay. you know, I think that's really where if you start in the entertainment business at 18, you're going to be in for a big surprise because mm -hmm. you're, there's no warm up. There's no, you know, you're not learning about the business. You're suddenly being asked maybe to do things that you don't feel comfortable about. And frankly, you never as an actress ever do anything you don't feel comfortable with. You just don't. Um, I just think that there are, are times where people... Um, it's how people, it's, it's, it's a very individual thing. It has to do with each person and how you feel about it. So um, I'd say that, you know, obviously a combination of things have to come together in order for people, to, for a person to be cast. You have to be mature enough, emotionally, not just intellectually. No one's gonna pull a fast one on you. I'll, I'll say that, you know, and, and, um, but you know what, today very, is very different too. Things move very quickly. Um, so back back then, you know, there were auditions, there were callbacks, there were third callbacks, there were screen tests. So you didn't go into something without knowing everything, what you were going to do, and everything was spelled out in your contract. So that's another thing to say, like, um, I mean, it should be today. Um, everything should be spelled out, but um, it should be. Um, but back then, there was no way for it not to be because there were so many you had to go through, jump through so many hoops to get there. Mm -hmm. But based on that subject, I will get to my second book, which <laughs> focuses on that. Uh, my second book is called The Last, uh, it's based on The Last American Virgin because that was the first movie I did uh, that, um, that had more uh, adult subject matter in it. Well, just uh, by the, the title, you knew it had adult yeah. subject matter in it. Yes, and uh, this this one is based on my the curly hair, uh, so it is called the excellent curls of the last American French exchange babe of the eighties. But this one I went a little bit more risque. Okay. This is for people who love uh, the last American Virgin. Um, I get into more detail, um, so it's a little more hot, saucy, and um, <laughs> so I'd say over eighteen for this one. Um, okay, but you know, again, it, it, I guess based on today's world this is probably very soft very mm -hmm. um the ver the movie last American virgin was a teen sex comedy but it it was very there's sweetness in it and there is nudity but there's it's just a whole different thing this is uh i think nostalgic um i don't know like i i think that this is sweeter but it is definitely not for young uh kids under 18 I'm just going to say just because right. I got you. I got you. I'm momming out. So I'm protecting my kids. But which brings me to this book to this time. This book <laughs> is for, you know, 13 and up 13. And, you know, this book I did specifically for all kids to be able to watch. I mean, if you you could show your kid, probably your five year old this movie. But um, uh, this is such a fun book. And this book I did. And this how it came. The other two books came from my life. This came, um, I had, you'll in my prologue, uh, um, what do you call it? Not prologue. Uh, is it the prologue? I'm now spacing out. Preface. In my preface, I explained, but basically this came from a fan mentioning it would be very cool to have a book uh, about Better Off Dead with pictures of the people in oh, the book. Okay wearing this coat. So this coat is a very big part of this book. And I, I told Savage Steve Holland I was writing it. And then I said, well, would you like to add things? So this book is a labor of love. I love this movie. Um, and there were so many other people who do love this movie. And I thought this book, this, this movie needs its own book. Um, but what is different about this book is that I reached out to other people for interviews and 
I reached out to writer director Savage Steve Holland, mm-hmm. and um, so I had to do a lot more. I really, really tried to make this more realistic, um, accurate, because this wasn't just my perspective, but it was also the voice of other people. Right. So um, I, 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 and so many wonderful people connected with me about through this book. Um, I, uh, Savage, um, Savage gave me so many great stories that things that I didn't even realize, I didn't even know. And uh, Curtis Armstrong did a great interview for me, a new one. Um, Amanda Wiss, um, the paper boy did an yes. interview with me. Um, uh, I even have um, Cy Kern, uh, Kernan, who did um, the, vo- uh, the, he did from The Fix. He even did an interview with me from England, which was so wonderful. Um, I talked to him for like, I don't know, I'd have to say an hour um, about him singing the music and mm-hmm. working with Rupert Hine and um, I talked to Rupert Hines' widow, I mean, from England. I, so this was an adventure for me, actually. I actually spoke to so many people and found out so many things I didn't even know. So what you're getting in this book are things that have not been ever in, artic- you know, in articles or anything. So, well, <gasps> and then I did this on the back. I had to make it like part of my series in the front. Okay. But this is the cartoony feel of, the, of Better Off Dead. And I had to give Savage his shout out his credit you worked with a gentleman that most people would know as charles emerson winchester the third or cogsworth in beauty and the beast david david ogden Styers. and the thing is how did they convince him to do this film because this would have been right after mash this would have been him transitioning to his next career in film and in the industry to do a teenage comedy like this. Well, Savage has a story about that in the book, so I don't want to blow it, but I will say this. Um, David, also, I did watch MASH, so I know like the same thing. I was I was a fan of his when, I, when he came right. to the film. Um, and the other thing about uh, David, he wasn't there. I mean, David wasn't the first pick. So there were other people that Savage was considering and um and it wasn't i don't even know if like if if, you know the other other people really wanted to play that part i mean there were people who were like saying i'm you know i really want to do that role um but i think i don't know i think when savage heard about him i think he just would jumped at it because i think he knew like you know he really respected david and i uh i had a funny experience because david Later on, David did a movie, um, this thing called The Cat That Looked at the King, which is on YouTube. You can find it on YouTube, The Cat That Looked at the King. So David and I had never worked together except Better Off Dead. But then, like, mm, I don't know, maybe 20 years later, uh, my daughter was doing this, this little cartoon, and David was in this Cat That Looked at the King, did the voiceover as the king. And David did the voiceover for that. And my daughter was the live action in it. And uh, it was with uh, Julie Andrews. Oh, okay. And so my daughter acted with Julie Andrews. And I knew that David did the voice of the king, but David did it before. And so I don't think David ever knew that he worked with my daughter 10 years. So literally my daughter has... And I guess she did a dialect then too. She played a young sort of Jane Banks in this. And uh-huh. so my daughter did an English dialect. And then David Ogden Starr was in the same film. So it was a really trippy for me, the fact that they, that he who has worked with me in this film when I was 23 acted with my daughter when she was seven or something. I, just such a trippy thing. But um, yeah, no, I don't, I don't know how he got in the film, but that's another... That's a good thing for the book. You got to check that out. I'm sorry, I don't well, have the answer for that. <laughs> oh, so the other person is who played his wife, Kim Darby, who was also in the John Wayne film, True Grit. Now, I love this because now that I'm talking to you, I can play six degrees of separation with Diane Franklin, that now I'm connected to all these people, which is really cool. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> good. You're, you're, 
you're actually breathing on them. You're touching them right now. <laughs> well, I talked it. Well, I, t- I had a connection with John Wayne before because I talked to Dean Martin's daughter, Dina. And then I also have it through Fabian. So I, 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 I now have the trifecta with you. So Kim Darby plays mom in this role. And was she, and I don't know, and I, I hate to say this because I know her from the John Wayne film. Was she doing right. other things at the time and this was her stepping out again? Or was she always um, doing, I, I don't want to say it's a small part, but it's, it's, it's a very important part in the film. Um, I think for Kim, like I, I know that Kim likes to, oh, has always liked to stretch herself. And mm-hmm. she's a lovely actress. She's a lovely person. I mean, we did this movie called Summer Girl together and she played um, a, a, a dramatic role of a woman who was pregnant and I came as this evil babysitter and I ruined her life and I kidnapped her kids. It's called Summer Girl. If you see it, you can see it on- Wasn't uh, it a made-for-TV movie? Made-for-TV and literally like- <laughs> I, I, I torture poor Kim. I mean, I had never met her before that film. We shot it in Hawaii with Barry Bostwick. She was married to Barry Bostwick. I've she, seen it, yes. Oh my gosh. So Kim and I, like we have this dramatic thing and I, I just ruined this woman's life. Oh. I sorry about that, Kim. It was terrible. It was just terrible. But, but the interesting thing about that is it was made for a TV network. Exactly. It was made for CBS. And you were in a bikini, a lot of it, that left oh, yeah. nothing to the imagination. Nope. And this would have been, what, what time in the 80s? 1980, um, I'm thinking 1983. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. That's why you got a book here. I think it was 1983. But what I think if I have a photo, that'll be really funny. Um, oh, look at that. A picture of Kim and I. In- <laughs> and Barry Boswick. And Barry Boswick. And me not wearing much. Um, yes. But yeah. There you go. That was, yeah. So look how serious Kim is. It was so she played, she was pregnant and she has two other kids and I come as the babysitter and it was just a nightmare. It was just terribly evil. And and, and the, the story yeah. is, is that you basically, the you basically seduce yep. Barry Boswick, yep. who is supposed to be how old? Eh, he's got to be in his like 40s or early 40s. And how old were you supposed to be at that time? Um, my guess is probably, I my guess i guess i had hmm, that's interesting that's a good question i mean i always thought of myself as 20 but i don't know if you take a 20 maybe seven see that's what i again let's talk let's talk at the 1980s when this stuff wasn't as taboo as we thought it was you're right maybe it was 17 you take a baby see that yeah i don't know maybe maybe (laughs) i'm thinking about it but You're I mean, the downfall like, society. Now I know what caused it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Dang. Darn, darn, darn. Well, I was always older playing younger. So, but that, yeah, could, it looks like underage, but no, I had to, I'm going to just say I was over 18 because, okay. because I was traveling with them to Hawaii. So let me, you know, you gotta give me that. All right. <laughs> well, okay. Anyway, we'll let, we'll let you have that one. So that's really interesting. When you talk about these, have you noticed more nostalgia for the 1980s now as you and i talked before i'm i turned 56 this summer so i'm in the middle of that i graduated high school in 84 graduated college in 88 so i'm a product of the 80s do you notice that a lot of people our age and slightly younger are now becoming fascinated with the 80s um i think there's an increasing respect for the 80s okay it's interesting um i think the 80s uh, okay, so you asked about my my kids and how they feel, you know, about my career or certain things. Right. And what's interesting to me now is like they, I think they look back and they go, I mean, the first thing that was funny is like, oh, the eighties are a long time ago. Long time like that ago. Was, that was like that was that was that's a long time. That's like history. And I'm like, wait a minute, no, 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 no. The forties are the history. This is not. This is this is eighties aren't the his like the old days, right? Um, right. But it is. It is definitely. Um, we've gotten away from it so much that it is part of history. And I think people are, um, especially with COVID, you know, I think people really miss um, the 80s, uh, our age, because it was a time where it was, everything was sort of free and there was a lot of fun and there was a lot of um, freedom and 
up it was very upbeat there were very upbeat movies and a lot of teen movies and yes definitely bring us back to our youth and so I do think that there the nostalgia is very strong and I think what's as I say there's been a more um, a feeling of respect because now the older generation realizes that that wasn't a given like those teen movies um and the way relationships happened and all that it, they that it's still it's not happening today the, the stories are different um some of the romances is different today than it was then um I, I have to say the only thing that's i really find is some of the movies are not they don't translate to today's generation in in certain ways some things were sexist some things were racist oh yeah you know yeah. what i'm saying which i don't weren't done on purpose at the time it was a reflection of the time um and it's actually good for you know people to look back and go oh wow like that's the way society saw things or or you know behaved which an but example I, of that exactly. is in better off dead when you had the two asians mm -hmm. the one learning english through howard cosell and the whole race thing yeah. Which, again, if you look at it the wrong way, it looks like they're insulting them. But in reality, it's not that way. But again, it all depends on the glasses you're looking through. Yeah. I, I And, you know, you as a teacher understand that. It is absolutely, uh, you know, nothing in Better Off Dead was done in, with malice. Savage was he was brilliant at bringing humor to things. But he even instructed the guys. He said, um, you know. He, he wasn't trying to make fun of them. He actually, uh, in his, the way he directed them, um, he actually gave them direction that had to do with them uh, having self-esteem in their driving and having, it was a very interesting thing. You know, as I was reading through this, I was like, wow, um, there was no malice, no prejudice. No, there's not not an ounce of it in Savage. He's the sweetest guy, and I think it's it's interesting to see the film. And I think that's why the film still holds up so mm -hmm. well because so it, it was the core intention. You know, when we talk about your part in the film, you're playing the French foreign exchange student. Maybe. Do you think they could have used any other nationality to play that part, or were they going for the implied? sexual tension that we think the French display. Oh, this is based on Savage's life, which is what I love. I love about even less American Virgin. Um, this is truth. He knew a French girl. Okay. Uh, so that was based on something that kind of happened to him. Um, it's a kind of a cute story in there, but uh, so that was just completely um, random. And, but I love the fact that Monique is, you know, it's a just different culture and, you know, uh, and it's, it, it's very fun. And I think it's great for the American culture to see, you know, this, uh, this woman who has uh, different priorities and uh, she has different ways of expressing herself and uh, something we perhaps can learn from, you know? <laughs> so what was, and, and, and not to slight you in any way, but what was the, pers the, the purpose of casting an American for that part? and not a French actress. Uh, you know, I, I have to tell you, you know, who knows if Savage even considered having a French actress do it. I just know I came in and I wanted that part so badly that I just became Monique. I mean, literally in the audition. I just, I started talking like this and I'm like, I'm Monique, you know. I think it was a combination of understanding who that person is as well as the dialect. Because you could put somebody else in that role and they could have a great dialect, but if that's not the core person as somebody who, you know, is um, stands up for themselves and has confidence and, you know, I think it just, it was a combination of those things that made that work for the role. Because yes, you know, any, and look, they could have had any actress come into a French part, but I think one of the things that made that work so well is the chemistry between John and I and that Monique was a character that was very um, self-sufficient uh, and strong. And uh, I just understood that. I got that. And, and when you look at the cast, you, there was a lot of people that went on. For example, Dan Snyder, who played Ricky, who had this, who has this whole career 
working behind the camera and doing children's based programming, especially for Nickelodeon. Yes, um, it's kind of unbelievable. Um, Better Off Dead Humor actually did go into Nickelodeon. Yes, uh, oh yeah. And uh, it, it, because, you know, Savage wound up working for, uh, you know, first uh, Dan Schneider worked for Savage in Better Off Dead, then later on, Savage worked for Dan Schneider at Nickelodeon um, because he was directing and writing scripts from, I guess it was, I mean, I'm not exactly sure exactly the shows he was on, but Dan ran um, iCarly, Zoe 101, mm -hmm. Drake and Josh, um, The Amanda Show. Um, there were so many things and the Better Off Dead humor was perfect for Nickelodeon. It was a, a microcosm of it's larger than life cartoons, right? Mm -hmm. Like live action cartoons coming to life. So, um, but Better Off Dead had so many great actors in it. I was really surprised that it got Vincent uh, Schiavelli. Um, he was in yeah. One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes. Um, major talent act, major talented actor. I couldn't believe that they mm -hmm. got him in Better Off Dead. So there were certain actors, I mean, everybody in that film held their own, which was such a delight when I, for writing this book, because I, if you've seen the movie and you, you watch it over and over again, because it is sort of like people do see it as a Christmas movie, as a Valentine movie, uh, people <laughs> yeah. see it all the long. Um, but, and it's also a movie that makes you feel really good. Like after mm -hmm. you're done watching it, you feel good. So people like to watch it, um, but you start memorizing the performances, watching the performances, and you start realizing everybody, held their own, you know, that the mailman, Taylor Negron, hilarious, mm -hmm. you know, as, as the mailman, he made all our mail, you know, us wonder who does open our mail every day and right. makes us, you know, there were thoughts like, wait, was, did that, does that really happen? <laughs> but, uh, and again, you're right, even going down to the paper boy who was just, again, one of those roles that you keep reoccurring when you think about the movie, that's one, it may not be a big role, but it's enough of a role that you keep remembering because it's iconic, because it's something that we can relate to. I want my $2, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, people have said that to me, to Amanda, to Curtis, um, and he's such a major part of the story. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, people don't know that much about him. So that's why it's nice to have the, the book. And I'm hoping, that this book inspires maybe we could do a big reunion and signings and um i just i just really i just uh hope that it it i'm surprised it hasn't been a uh, reunion yet to a certain we've had some reunions um we had like something at the egyptian theater um people it is a beloved film but who knows what's going to happen yeah i mean like maybe there will be another better off dead i don't know or maybe they'll maybe there'll be a uh it's just maybe this is the year this is the year hopefully this book will inspire some more because a lot of the times when we see either remakes or spin-offs or whatever we would see the families of the characters of what happened afterwards right could you do like better uh Better, better, better off better dead, off or dead. whatever it may be, um, because I can see that with with uh, John's role being uh, a don't. father stuck in a job that he doesn't like, so on and so forth, mm -hmm. and trying to do whatever he can to get out of it. So I could see doing something like that. I'll tell you, I, I talked to John. I mean, I actually spoke to John and said to him, "Oh my gosh, I'm telling you, if we ever did a movie, if we did a sequel to it, people would go crazy." Oh yeah, I agree. Yeah. I just told him that I was, you know, re like probably like a year ago, I said, if we ever did it, oh, I, I just want you to know I'm open. I would love to. And um, I know Savage is, I don't know how it is, but I know Savage was, you know, thinking of something along the lines, but uh, you never know. I, I just say, we'll put it out there into the world. And if anyone comes up with something, send me the script. All right. Gotcha. <laughs> so the other thing I wanted to ask you, and we touched on this briefly last time, is that you enjoy doing the genre of horror, which I think is really interesting because you have a new movie coming out um, called Walk or Waking Nightmare, which most people wouldn't know him to look at him, but his name is David Naughton in the 1970s and 80s. He was, I'm a pepper, you're a pepper. Wouldn't you like to be a pepper poo? Two spokesmen oh God, for Dr. Right. Pepper. 
And what? Oh my gosh. And here's the funny thing. I just found out, I think that he's born on my birthday. Is that true? Is he born on February 11th? He could I think be. He is. Super weird. All right. And so, yes, I did this movie called uh, Wake No, Night. sorry. Oh, no. February 13th. Oh, okay. We're close, though. Okay. Two days later. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. Good. Well, I should have wished him a happy birthday. Um, uh, Dave and I, yeah, we did a scene together actually in this movie. Um, great movie. Unbelievable movie. I don't know when it's going to come out. I, do, I, it, I think it would be, if it does come out, it would come out to the, um, the, film festival circuit okay unbelievably a role you've never seen me in once again all the parts that i do it's i try to surprise people and you've never seen me play this character and it is a, a great acting role i did re, i mean really people are like wow like I, I think in a way it's one of those movies that could get me a best actress in something because it's pretty it's a pretty great movie, but um, who knows when they're put, putting it out. But yeah, I did work with David and, you know, it's very, it's funny. We all did commercials in back in New York. Yeah. You know, I did a Pepsi commercial, a Coca-Cola commercial. I did a, a Coca-Cola commercial with Lori Laughlin uh, too. Like, okay. crazy. you know, so many, we were all kids during that time in the eighties. And well, one thing I want to ask you about, because it became part of the conscience of America in the last few months is your Reese's peanut butter cup commercial that was shown with a different spin on the Stephen Colbert show on CBS. Now, again, going back to looking at the commercial, you're walking down the street with an open jar of peanut butter. A guy is eating a candy bar, which is not unusual, but a girl walking down, sticking two fingers in a jar of peanut butter in downtown New York is really odd. When they pitched that idea to you, did you go, I wouldn't do this? Oh, absolutely. Oh, seriously. During the commercial, I went, what am I doing? Like, I, it was weird then. So I'm going to share that with you. It was even weird then. And I was like, okay. But it was absolutely, I remember specifically thinking, this is really silly. (laughs) This is like, okay, whatever. And, um. I, I think they did a, I mean, I don't know if I was the only one to do that commercial. It was a series of commercials. Yes, it was. Right. Um, but, um, but ours was just really hokey and, and especially like, I loved it when um, uh, John Kernan and I did it. Cause we were like, Oh, 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 Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, well, what? And you're like, Oh my goodness. And my what? <laughs> my wife and I, we were, it must have been around Christmas or Halloween or whenever, and there were Reese's peanut butter cups. And she went into the commercial because it's one of those things that we remember. And my kids, 21, 17, and 14, looked at us going, what are you talking about? And I said, seriously, you've never heard this before. And I showed it to them. And they looked oh, at me yeah. and said, that is really corny, dad. And I said, right? well, that was the 80s. I mean, what more can I say? Absolutely. And uh, uh, again, and, the, and the, just the thought that uh, Stephen Colbert saw that yes. was like, oh, like, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Stephen Colbert has seen me. I mean, who knows? You know, the other thing that's so interesting, I've been in the business for so long now, you know, at a certain point, you're thinking people are, they, they might know you because they've just been around a long time. Yes. You know? So uh, that one of the surprising things is sometimes, you know, people have seen my films and you know, as a, as a young actor, you think, no, who knows me? But as an older actor, like, well, I've been along, around a long time. Somebody, you get through all the videos, eventually someone's going to see them. So um, I've had some famous people see my work and it's been a, such a compliment, you know, that they know or they liked my, you know, they liked the films I've done. So, um, or they'd said, oh my gosh, that was such an inspiration. Um, I, that's always great. I just think it, that's what, one of the best things about being in the entertainment business is for people that you admire to like your work. You know? So the, the other thing real quick is that you, you mentioned earlier that you did soap operas and you were on mm-hmm. As the World Turns. Um, when you were on that program, your next big role was the last American, was the next role was the last American version because it was like 79, 82, somewhere in that ballpark. That's right. 
-hmm. did anybody question you about doing that role? Did they know that you were going to do it? Did anybody say, you know what, this may not be the right direction for you to go into for your career, or did they push you into it? Okay, no, that's interesting. Actually, a good little story to tell you about that. That's kind of interesting. Okay, so when I was on As the World Turns, I was recurring for about a half a year. So I did a lot of episodes and I really loved it. Um, but I played the bad girl. And because of that, um, I had to die. I had to get rid of I mean, I didn't <laughs> die, but like they had to get rid of me. As also, as all good soap operas do, you get a character and then you have to do something like, she's Betsy's not friends with that girl anymore. Lois, Lois Middleton. So um, they, uh, they left me, but it was excellent training incredible training soap operas are the best training for memorizing and um i highly recommend it to actors even it's if it sounds um goofy uh boy it's really excellent training and excellent experience so and ironically this is a very lovely story is that in one of the scenes on that soap opera there was a girl um i who did i did a party scene with and her name is elizabeth barrage and Elizabeth Barrage and I wound up competing for so many roles in the future, but in that particular party scene, we are friends. We played both bad girls. It was just great. So I, I, I really always love the fact that since I've been in the business for a while, I've had other actors have come in and out of my life through, you know, mm -hmm. just the business, right? So after that, when I got Last American Virgin, some time had passed, I'd have to say, a year or maybe a year and a half. And um, so when I, I, I was going to college at the time and I got, um, I had this audition and I said, you know, you're talking about like, you know, I'm not going to be doing that kind of film. Well, I get the audition for the, a film called The Last American Virgin and I get the script and I mean, I get the, the name of it and I, I'm like, I'm not going for that. I've got a, a chemistry test in behind my college. I got a, I'm at NYU. I got a midterm. So I'm not going for that movie. And so I, I let my career go curly and I just go take the, the chemistry test. And I look at the test and I obviously realize I have a better chance of getting lead in a film. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way I'm going to pass this test. So I run up to the audition. I take this, like, I don't know, subway, train, bus, whatever. I get up there to upper, upper, uh, east or west side I think and I I see the director and they say we're gonna fly you out to LA next week right away like so I was like oh okay so um so the following week I mean even though I'm in school I'm, I'm signed up in NYU I'm going to classes I'm like I'm taking off I gotta go to LA and the idea was you get there if you get there and you get it you stay and shoot the film that's how fast it was and imagine I was um I was 19 so imagine having a child who's 19 years old. You have better know what you're doing if you're flying by yourself right. to California and you're going to be in a feature film. I mean, I had managers and I had people and my parents and I had people watching out for me, but think about the maturity level I had to be on emotionally mm -hmm. to be able to do that. So go out there. So I get and there and I was ready. Again, I started when I was 10 years old. So by then I really could handle myself and I could handle others. Um, but when I got there, and I had a screen test. I tested with the other people in the film. Uh, there, there was a picture of a girl on the wall. And the girl was the only other girl who was being considered for the part of Karen in The Last American Virgin. And this girl was named Kristen Alfonso. And Kristen Alfonso was offered a role in a soap opera at that time just at the same time Virgin hit and she chose to do the soap opera mm -hmm. and she could have taken the film and she probably would have gotten the part but because she chose the soap opera which she stayed on for I think her entire life like oh, that wow. was a lucky break um, as far as I know I mean I, I don't know if it, it was still on she's been on that show for her whole life that was a major moment in her life. I was offered the opportunity to do Virgin. So Virgin changed my life, but it's fascinating how that moment in her life also changed it. So mm -hmm. it's it, in answer to your question, I think things happen, you know, opportunity knocks and you choose to open it, the door or not. I had been in the business for eight years before that and I, 
was ready to move forward. And I knew I could make that role memorable because I knew as an actress, but not every actress could have done the role for Last American Virgin. Not anybody. You know, it was, in fact, Boaz was talking and he said like he, they met thousands of actresses, name actresses, and they couldn't find the person. So it's sort of like kismet hits and that happened at the right time. Um, but um, I brought a lot of love to that role. And I think that for me made a difference. And I think uh, another actress could have done it. And it just, you know, there's, that's the other thing too. So many films come out and people like them, but if maybe they had another actor in it who brought something that's personal and poetic or expressive to the role, then maybe it could have been an amazing, outstanding mm-hmm. film. So um, just because you have a movie and you cast it doesn't mean every actor is bringing something amazing to it. You hope it does. Um, and that really has to do with the director, you know, what their vision is. Uh, but sometimes you cast something and it's not all up to the director. There's too many people putting their fingers in it. And so sometimes things don't get cast the way you know, maybe the writer envisioned it or the way the director is. So um, in answer to your question, um, no one was pushing me into it. Um, it was definitely a thoughtful decision. And mm-hmm. I talk about those in my book. So if you're interested, go read my books. But, so the um, other question is, uh, as you mentioned you your daughter earlier about doing TV. Yeah. And one of the roles you did in TV was on Charles in Charge yes. that you played Anna Grandova. If you had the opportunity to have your own TV series, would you have taken it? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, I had a, I was close to that. I did a pilot called Too Good to Be True. And I was the lead. There was, it was an ensemble piece, but I was like a lead girl in that. And if that had gone, it was, you know what it was? It was, um, it was like, a, sort of like Annie. It was supposed to be uh, non-musical, but it was about like a girl's school. And it was kind of a a couple of boys stuck at a girl's boarding school. And the lead guy was supposed to be sort of like a daddy Warbucks. Um, It was kind of interesting. And Diana Moldar Moldar was in it. She played like the headmistress, I think. Um, So that pilot, if it had gone, my whole life would have been different. I would have been a television actress. It would have, okay. that would have been it. But I will say this, I, I did much better work, I think being a film actress because I got to stretch myself. And certainly if I had done that, I never would have done better off dead because I wouldn't have been <laughs> up the opportunity. So I'm so happy. I'm so so happy. what's interesting is that I, I'm looking through the list and, and when you were mentioning the program, too Good to Be True, released in 1983. Um, let's see, you had John Stockwell was in it with you, Diane. You're Diane Franklin. I was going to read yeah, your name. Di- Diana Mulder, I think. Mulder, right? And uh, Right. And going through this list of names, going, okay, it could it could have gone further, but why don't you think they picked it up? Oh. Because uh, it was know. too much a cross between, because just hearing it, the, 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 the synopsis here is the story set at a Pepperidge Preparatory School for Girls follows the misadventures of eight teenage boys recently admitted to uh, the once all-girls school. The pilot episode depicts the boys' effort to run a candidate for student body president yeah. against a popular female candidate. So at the same time, you had Facts of Life. Yes. You had... Um, head of the class you had these other school programs you just think there were too many of them and that's why it didn't take off or no I I I have a feeling it might have had to do with and you know these things happen too like it might have been you know maybe a star saying I don't want to do this or I want to do it or I need more money or okay I have a feeling it was more of a um a business thing rather than a, or availability thing rather than, uh, than the, than the show. I I know that there were a lot of hopes for it. And, um, the, you know, I think the ratings, they, again, you know, everything I think with the Nielsen ratings then, so it maybe didn't hit as high in Nielsen ratings as they had hoped, 
but that might have had to do with the stars. I have no idea. You know, it was just kind of an interesting. Uh, it was a really cute show. Uh, I can tell you that. But um, it wasn't the only show. You know, I'm sure there are a lot of other shows. Uh, but things get made sometimes because people are the stars who are in it. Maybe have some more power. Um, okay. I don't know. You know, I think it, it, there's a lot of things that make things happen and financial investment in projects. So, but I don't think it was the show. I, I, and I don't think it really was the talent, the people who were acting in it. I think everyone did a really good job. They were, and mm -hmm. were very funny. So the last question I have for you, if your career would have started within the last 15 years with the internet being as big as it is, do you think it would have went in a different direction? because of all these streaming services we have and all this other stuff, oh, do you yeah. see yourself? Oh, I, I definitely think so. Be, um, I mean, the internet has made everything, just changed everything. And um, success is, it used to be, a, what, your 15 minutes? Yes. You got, you got about a minute. <laughs> <That's success. laughs> about one minute. One minute of success, okay? It's gone down. Uh, uh, and inflation, the $2 have gone to like 20, 2,200. Um, but um, no, you know, I, I do think that we now have, uh, a, there's, the, there's too much, first of all, there's, there's a, so much entertainment. The, the great thing about entertainment today is that everybody can show their talent on the internet. I love that we can, there's so many things I'm sure you watch that you go, wow, that's amazing. Like, I'm so glad I even got to see that, you know, five-year-old sing like opera or the, you know, that right. bird do the dance, like with the dog, I don't, like whatever, you know, that. Uh, there's so many great, amazing things to see on the internet. I love that. Um, but also it is so fleeting. And um, I think that's really hard for entertainers because it's not that we're com they're competing with each other. It's just that they constantly have to come up with content. So even I like, um, I did this show with my daughter, a little thing we were doing for a while and we only did it up until she, when she got really busy, she wanted to do a, a little internet show with me. Uh, it was called Live and Die in LA. Okay. Live, Olivia and Die is in Diane. Right. And we started doing this little thing and it was very fun and uh, we could have really pushed that, but I, you know, she needed to go towards her career. And so I only did it because she said, oh, well, mom, let's do a show. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what a compliment, you know, to do right. a show with your mom. Um, and it was very funny. So uh, I would say it would have been very different. Um, and I also think it would have also been very product-based because nowadays in order to get yourself known, you're, oh, people are selling things. Always. Oh, yes, yeah. Oh, I wear my blah 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 glasses, or I wear like this. Um, and even though I'm I I'm technically selling my book, at least for me, um, I'm doing that. It's really motivated by nostalgia and motivated mm -hmm. about um, going back to the '80s. And I just know that I want to, you know, have people see something true and something real and something that'll make them feel good really so whatever happens for me as an actress um you know i love doing acting and i love doing parts and i've you know i, I put myself out there um as wherever is you know i can help actors and do films i mean i've, I've done I did like this beautiful short recently for this up-and-coming director uh who is uh, and normally i don't do shorts but it was a 1950s film and his art direction was stunning and uh, so I do this beautiful little uh, sort of science fiction kind of um, um, X-Files kind of short. Okay. So like I, I do things for people be if I believe in them. Um, and I love, that's to me right now in the experimental phase. So if you're talking about anything with a career, I think what I think is really nice now for actors is uh, if I was in my career is I would probably be doing a lot of experimental films like, you know, I'll try this or I'll, I'll do that. And then for commercials, like for commercially, it would be selling products of some sort um, uh, or being on a show. I probably would probably be on some kind of, you know, uh, crime show, I guess, mm -hmm. or science fiction show that becomes very popular. Um, although uh, I would love to have been like on um sort of like a stranger's things or mm -hmm. um or even who knows maybe marvel movies that's another thing that's been so 
big is the superhero things. Right, so. right. Well, no, Diane, no. thank you very much. I really appreciate it. It was a joy. Thank you, Bill. You're amazing. And I love going to, uh, rolling down memory lane with you. Well, you know, that's, that's beautiful. Thank you. And if you want to, uh, one more time, promote the newest book for me. Oh, yes. Uh, please check out, uh, look up Diane Franklin books. Um, I, here's what I would do. If you really want to find this book right now, I would go to Amazon. Um, I would then put in, once you go to Amazon, put Diane Franklin books. And then I think you will see this because if you just do it out of Google search, it's not there yet. So be the first people to get this book and you will go crazy. If you love this, you know, I would say watch the movie. Uh, no, read the book, then watch the movie, right? Yeah. And if you've never read it, then then watch the movie first, if you've never seen well, it. Well, and the other thing is, for those of you that want the book, I do have the link for it. So I will put it in my description and I'll put it up on the screen thank right you. now. So that way they can see it and they can go to it. So Diane, well, thank you very yeah, much. Remember I took the French accent, don't speak in the news, all right? This is French bread in Peru. Please, please come back when you write the fourth book. I really appreciate it. And good luck with everything. Thank you so much. All right, Bill. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, a big thank you goes out to Diane Franklin for joining me today. Really appreciate it. Had a great time talking to her and hopefully you enjoyed it too. And don't forget to check out her new book, Diane Franklin, the excellent comedy of the last American French exchange babe of the eighties, the better off dead movie tribute book which is being released february 18th 2022 which for some of you it's this coming friday and the link is right here on the screen to show you where you can get the book on amazon and also in the description if you're listening to the podcast or watching it online so everybody thank you very much for joining me and we'll talk to you next time here on the bill alexander show thank you for listening to the bill alexander show the Bill Alexander Show is a Million Dollar Baby production. For more information, go to thebillalexandershow.com. Have you guys noticed that you can't go anywhere without seeing designer this or designer that, even designer furniture? On my social feeds and celebrity homes, it's everywhere. Have you seen how expensive these are? Well, if you want the sofa or recliner or bed that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends, but without the designer prices. Oh, and they're well-made, too. It's the whole package. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that... That's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.